Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and empowered? Get ready to embark on a journey that celebrates the incredible achievements and resilience of the Latino community. Welcome to another episode of Latinos Who Thrive. I am your host, Victor Escalante. If you're new to the show, we introduce you to a captivating lineup of trailblazers, visionaries, and everyday heroes who have defied the odds to make a positive impact in their communities and beyond. Our guests come from all walks of life, from entrepreneurs to artists, activists to educators, professionals to athletes, each with a unique tale of triumph and determination. Join us as we delve deep into the personal journeys, exploring the struggles they faced and the lessons they learned along the way. Through their compelling narratives, we aim to showcase the tenacity, spirit, cultural richness that define the Latino community. Latinos Who Thrive is more than just a podcast. It's a celebration of heritage and an opportunity to learn the same of the brightest minds and biggest hearts in the Latino community. We firmly believe that by sharing these stories, we can inspire a new generation to embrace their roots, seize opportunities, and build a brighter future for themselves and their communities. Whether you're a member of the Latino community seeking inspiration, a supporter of diversity and inclusion, or simply an individual who appreciates tales of triumph and resilience, this podcast is for you. What a great show we have for you today. This week, we're joined by former CNN reporter and producer Maricielo Solis, who is going to take us behind the scenes of what it's like to work at a high-stakes position and why she gave it up. So let's get on with it. And now we want to welcome Maricielo Solis. Uh, Maricielo, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Victor. Tell us where you're originally from, uh, Maricielo. I am originally originally from Lima, Peru. I was born there and I grew up there until I was 13 years old. And when I was 13, I basically immigrated with my family to the U.S. and we settled in Miami. Tell us the through line of you coming to America and ending up at, at CNN in New York. Yeah, I mean, I feel like growing up in Peru, I always was drawn to media. I still remember the first time I saw Christian Amanpour reporting live from Gaza during um, the war and just thinking about how incredible she was, not only because she was reporting one of the most dangerous places around the world, but just because I think at that point there had not been role models for young women that wanted to break into the industry. So she was kind of like a superhero to me without without the cape. So that was beautiful. And I think it was a full circle moment because I actually had the opportunity to meet her while working with CNN and tell her what I'm just telling you, that she had always been an inspiration to me. But the journey of just ending at CNN, um, to me, it was something that I never imagined. It all happened because I started an internship in New York City right after college. And after that, I applied to work for CNN. I actually applied at Indeed.com, which is crazy to think about. And I received a call from Javi Morgado that at that time was the executive producer for Morning Television. He was the one that interviewed me and the rest is history. I started my career there. Did you ever work on uh, uh, CNN and Espanol? 
No, no. Uh, my whole career in television has been in the American and the international audience. But that being said, while I was a, a student, I did an internship at Univision in Miami. So I worked for the Univision um, channel and in the investigative unit. And then also my really good friend, Patisa Pedraza, she's the one, well, she's, re, she's no longer at CNN, but she was the executive producer director at CNN Espanol in New York. And I, she was one of my best friends. I was really close to her and a great mentor. We still talk. Yeah. I want to backtrack. What surprised you the most about uh, meeting in person uh, uh, the reporter I'm on board? Um, how down to earth she is. She is just someone that really cares about her career and the way she handles herself. She she doesn't have an ego. Sometimes when you meet people, unfortunately, it's happened to be amid so many celebrities, when they're going to write a book about it. Um, you know, it's it's really disheartening to see that they're not the real deal, meaning that they have very like big egos. So when you see someone so humble and so passionate about her career, like Christiane, is just so refreshing. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's been so she's so loved by the CNN, um, by the CNN network, and beyond that, just as a woman that is breaking stereotypes in the journalism world. Did you get to work or meet uh, the Cuban-American uh, on-air personality? I forget her name, uh, but... Ballard? Uh, uh, yeah, I actually, I did meet him. Like, uh, the one that works for Telemundo? Uh, it's a lady. It's a lady uh, on-air oh. personality. Uh, she went on to do documentaries after she left. Well, oh, Soledad O'Brien, right? Are you talking yes, about Soledad O'Brien? Yes, Soledad. Yes. Yeah, I got to meet her many times. I went to two of her events. Um, I actually got to, while I was producing for the morning television show, she came and did a couple of segments. So I got to talk to her. She is so down to earth. I Yeah, I've had conversations with her. Incredible women, so smart, so humble. So it's, a, it's amazing to be able to work with people like that. You've brushed uh, with a lot of uh, newsmakers and a lot of news reporters in your career. What surprised you the most of being in this uh, e ecosystem? I know, I mean, sometimes I, I feel that, you know, people that are just watching in their couches news, they don't understand what it takes to put a show together and bring it to an audience. I feel that journalists have to sacrifice so much of their personal lives in order to bring you the news, because it's not only the fact that you work crazy hours, you probably know this, but it's the fact that you get to meet people at their worst day. Imagine meeting people that have just lost a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. That they just been through a, a really terrific um, accident. And yeah, so I think that's the tough part and it really affects you mentally. So I feel it's journalism is not just a career. It's a calling, just like being a doctor, just like it truly is. So I think that's what surprised me the most, like how not all journalists, but majority of journalists, they have so much passion for the work and they don't take things for granted. And they truly have this kindness, right? They know how to approach people that have been through very difficult situations. And at the end of the day, our goal is to tell the story the best possibly way we can. So we try to do our best. And so that's been always a surprising fact and it's always been humbling to me. What were some of the biggest obstacles that as a young Latina, you seem to be, what, a millennial? That you faced uh, in, in the media world, in the media landscape? Yeah, I mean, 
So definitely when I first started in television, my dream was to become a someone like Christina Mapur, right? I wanted to, I think growing up that just, she was someone that I've completely admired. And definitely, first of all, I'm not even first generation. I was born in Peru, period. So my, I do still have an accent, which I'm proud of. I speak two languages, but I guess when you work for American television, your accent needs to be perfect. Even people that are born here, they yes. need to work in their accents so they don't have that accent, right? Like that Southern accent if they're from the South or if they're from Texas. So just all these layers, right? It's like, and then there's no really representation. Now I think things have changed. Like I see people like Soledad that used to be an anchor. But even then, like, I feel like, and I am not going to be super honest. I didn't grow up watching um, Hispanic media or Univision. Like I grew up with some Peruvian. And then when I came here, obviously I work with Jorge Ramos. He's incredible, but I didn't, you know, like watch it religiously. I always watched the international network and beyond just being Latina, I'm a woman. So I wanted to be able to create a platform to reach people worldwide. So, so yeah, I think it was just hard. Like I knew from the bad, it's like, if I ever want to become an anchor and I'm just going to have to work three times harder and I, I don't see anyone, I don't see myself represented on mainstream television. So if it's hard for just any women, right? Like imagine just the journey of Barbara Walters, like what she had to go through to become so successful and really be able to earn her position as a woman in television or Oprah. Um, I just felt that it, it, it definitely was going to be extremely hard, but yeah, but I think everything works out for a reason. I am doing that in a way now in my own terms and fully confident in owning who I am as a person. So let me ask you this, uh, because you work so closely and bec because you know the behind the scenes story behind the story, what do you think are the key elements? And I'm a big fan, I admit, of uh, Christine Amanpour myself. I used to love her reporting. And I think she even had like a half an hour uh, news show, uh, yeah. if, if memory serves me. And tell me, what do you think was the big key uh, as, as an observer of Christine uh, in knowing her inside story? Well, what do you think was the key for her to build a legacy as a broadcaster and as a reporter? I think it was just her commitment, right? Um, she worked her way up. I mean, she started, if I if I don't remember her story well, but she started an affiliate market. I think it was in Rhode Island. Never thought that she could become Christiana Mumport. But I think as she grew and learned the ropes about the business, she also realized that she was not doing this only for her but it was a movement that she was created for a lot of women that wanted to have a voice that they wanted to have a space and be recognized on television so I think she's probably one of the early ones just with Barbara Walters and, and a couple of women that I can remember um so I think and for her even if you talk to her until now it's that curiosity she generally loves being a journalist like even if she would not be famous even if there were you know, like you know not working in television I am sure that she still would have been really successful because she generally has a passion for understanding the stories of people and bringing that to light. Um, yeah, I think that was, that's been a really key component. I'm reminded of the story of Larry King and how he rose to fame by uh, being a on-air radio personality at a restaurant that was needing publicity and interviewing mm -hmm. common people. It's like, that's where he honed his skills. 
at yeah. interviewing people uh, to where he could take someone that had a boring story and yeah. just weave it uh, into a really fascinating and interesting story. Because, because again, it's, that's the art of storytelling. And, and you and I know that, that everything can be woven into a really interesting story. Yeah, and I feel that, you know, we live in an era where I feel like everyone really can start a podcast and do interviews, but I don't feel that everyone has the ability to be good at. It's something that you, it's like a muscle, right? You have to work and progressively you get better. I feel like the big ones, like Larry King, we're talking about, this is a guy that's done like, I don't know, like probably over a thousand interviews in his lifetime. And even because I actually got to meet him three times and he's he, he's passed away um, now, but he was in his 90s and he was still coming to the network because sometimes he would like to contribute. So for him, it was a calling. It was just not a career. And I think that's what makes a difference with journalists. Journalists, if this is your calling, you're going to do it regardless of the circumstances because it's not just a career, it's a way of living. You can take the broadcaster out of the studio, but you cannot take the studio out of the broadcaster. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. A common superpower that in interviewing hundreds of Latinos uh, mm -hmm. is that they master the mundane, boring aspects of, of the trade. Now, in your experience, what were the boring, mundane minutiae that you had to master in order to be at the top of your game as a reporter for CNN? Um, so basically, early in my career, I didn't do things that I was very interested about. Like, like I started my career, by, but actually doing the graphics that you see, all the graphics, like changing, like breaking news. So I wasn't very interested about that, but that's a skill that you have to develop. And I think when I look back in my career, just understanding right getting those things right is so important because it helps you with your writing it helps you become a better producer so yeah so those are a couple of things that I wasn't very interested about but I had to do then research research is such a big part of being a good journalist so making sure that you do it well I mean I remember spending nights just doing research and then taking it to my boss and saying this is not good enough like go back and look at the facts like I feel like we have in a way, there, there's a part of us that we are lawyers, right? Because we have to look at the evidence and we have to have concrete um, facts in front of us in order for us to be able to report. So I feel that always part of the training is not the most appealing stuff sometimes, and it can be a little bit boring, but it's just so important for you to be a better reporter. In your experience, uh, how much research does a one-hour show uh, have in terms of research? I mean, um, I don't know exactly one hour, but I used to work for the morning television show um, New Day. This was with Chris Cuomo and Allison Camerata were, were there. I know things have changed and CNN has gone through different CEOs, but we were a team of 50 in two shifts, there was a day size shift and the overnight shift for a four hour show. So do the math, yeah. a lot of hours, right? It's like 50 people for just four hours of television and there were two different shifts. So that was definitely a lot, a lot of, I would say days comes into, because it's not only the information, it's like then 
each producer has a different task, the booking producer then needs to go and, okay, who is going to be a good guest to be able to talk about this specific topic? And then the journalist goes and tries to get the actual lead on camera. So it's like a whole process. And the thing with CNN is they're known for breaking news. So you maybe have spent eight hours planning for half an hour, one hour of television. And that can all just go away in a minute because we have breaking news from Ukraine and we have to go live. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. I feel like it happened to us so many times. We were, we had the four hours of television ready to go live. And then Donald Trump, right, uh, was doing a speech because he was president when I was in the network. Or maybe there was something going on. There was an, a terror attack. I remember when the terror attack on Charlie Hebdo happened? It was just crazy. I literally did not leave the network for two days because we had breaking news every 15 minutes. So, yeah, I think it's the adrenaline, right? It's like you basically are telling the facts as they happen. Let me ask you this, uh, being in that adrenaline uh, soup uh, and not being able to get away, that takes a toll on you. Oh, yeah. uh, how were you affected mentally, emotionally, and physically? So to me, and I always talk about this on the interview, this is one of the reasons why I decided to, to leave corporate media is because it happened progressively. I'm one of those people, I am a very positive, like especially in my 20s, like I was like a happy butterfly. I was always like, it's always an opportunity for me to learn. And even though a lot of things were happening and we, we, we were covering, I remember the Vegas shooting, that's probably one of the things that really hit me really hard mentally. When it happened, as it was happening, I was not processing. Two years later, um, I basically got into a stage that I was not eating well. I was really depressed, anxious. I couldn't just, I, I didn't even want to go to work. Like that love for just me going to work, new day. Oh my God, like what news, like, you know, it's going to happen today. Cause that's usually the mentality. I always wanted to work in media and I collapsed and I ended up in the ER. And then through that, I realized that not only I was not taking care of myself physically, but mentally I was not well. And I really had to go through a period of mourning and really kind of readjusting what I wanted to do with my life going forward because that lifestyle was not sustainable, right? I mean, I was working crazy hours, um, anything from 10 to 12 hours a day, sleeping four hours. I was working also overnight shifts. I started working on the morning television show. Majority of people work overnight shifts. So that was also right. affecting me mentally and physically. So yeah, so it was, it's definitely tough, but it, it was not like, Oh, I knew that, you know, mentally it's affecting me. It was kind of a turning point. Like it, it really hit rock bottom. And then that's when I realized how this was all affecting me personally. You are listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Maricielo Solis. We'll be right back. Are you looking to take your career to the next level? Do you want to stand out from the crowd and make a lasting impression? Then look no further. Introducing the ultimate game changer, the Escalante Public Speaking Mastery Course. In today's competitive world, effective communication is the key to success. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, the ability to speak confidently and persuasively is a game changer. I know, because I have lived through it. 
That's why the Public Speaking Mastery course is here to unlock your full potential. The comprehensive course is designed to transform your public speaking skills from good to extraordinary. I will be guiding you through a step-by-step -step process, helping you overcome stage fright, craft compelling messages, and deliver impactful presentations. When I took the Dale Carnegie School of Public Speaking and Human Relations, it changed my life and I will be able to help you do the same. My career in journalism and training and development was built on having the skills to be able to communicate to a team or thousands. I hold nothing back. I will give you all my trade secrets and how you can thrive and crush it. Imagine walking into a boardroom and captivating your audience with your powerful presence. Picture yourself confidently leading meetings, delivering persuasive pitches, and commanding attention in every interaction. With a public speaking mastery course, you'll be equipped with the skills to excel in any professional situation. If you're ready to take the step and supercharge your career, enroll in the Public Speaking Mastery course today. All the information and the cost is in the show notes. Don't let fear hold you back. Unlock your potential, elevate your career, and become a master of public speaking. Go to the show notes to register today to secure your spot in the next session of Public Speaking Mastery course. Public Speaking Mastery course, empowering professionals, transforming careers, Act now and make a lasting impression in every opportunity that comes your way. You will be glad you did and you will thrive for the rest of your life. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Maricielo Solis. Let me tell you why I asked the question, because uh, in your previous answer, it reminded me of an interview that I heard on NPR. Mm. I believe it was a CNN reporter that went out to Valde to do mm. the story on the children out there. And she's, she talks very candidly about how she suffered from PTSD afterwards because uh, it really shook her. And it yeah. really affected her mentally and emotionally uh, yeah. to where she was having lots of flashbacks. And of course, she needed time off and she needed to get professional help. Yeah. I mean, are you familiar with Clarissa work with the work? I mean, she's probably the baddest woman in television. She's still working in the network. She is the chief international correspondent. She actually, Christy, when I'm, Christina I'm poor, is still there, but she's a contributor. She kind of has retired in a way. So uh, Clarissa Ward was the one that took that position. So she's basically been in Syria. She's been Ukraine covering the war. She's been at the front of every major event, good and bad. And one of the things that I truly admire her is that she's been in situations that a lot of her producers have died. A lot yeah. of her producers, yeah, it, it's, and, and we had a conversation. I actually, um, I had a conversation with her once about, because she has a book, it's called All Fronts, which is really her experience as a war correspondent and how that has really affected her. So she struggles with PTSD. She's developed all these mental health issues. And as a human being, it's so hard to desensitize right from all every problem out there because you're human. Before just being a journalist, you're a human being. So you feel for these people to what they're going through. 
And for her, what was the hardest is kind of reconcile the fact that one minute she was in Ukraine covering the war and just seeing millions of people dying. And then she was off in a plane right back in the US at the CNN headquarters. That was really hard for her to comprehend that and, and kind of like live in both realities yeah. because both sure. of them were the realities, yeah. Yeah, you become acclimated and, and after a while, I would imagine you become desensitized and callous to, to a lot of the human suffering, especially when you're covering it. Yeah. It's so hard though. I don't think that that was the question. It's like, you never get used to it. It yeah. never gets better, especially when you become a mom Makes and yeah. you, yeah, but it's, it's something I admire because I don't think I could be able to do that type of work. I would be too attached to the subject and too attached to the story. Sure. So let me ask you this. Uh, how did you overcome your fear of speaking in front of the camera? Or did you ever have the initial I, fear? I don't, yeah. I don't think I am afraid of speaking in camera. I think I'm a perfectionist and it doesn't matter how many times I see myself in front of a camera. I always just will criticize everything about that interview. I'm Even now, it's incredible, but like I had an interview with Chatter News about um, just my thoughts about election next year and whether Trump is going to win or not. And even thought I thought it went really well. Like for me, it's it's never good enough. It's like I could have done better. And I guess it's just my perfectionist OCD part that I want to do good. Um, but I don't think I've been ever afraid of speaking in camera. Maybe at my early stages, I was just annoyed with the fact that I had an accent. And now I completely embrace it because that's who I am. And that's what makes me so unique. But, you know, you go through stages and you learn and you evolve and, and you learn to love yourself just the way you are. Mm -hmm. You have muscle memory to automatically <laughs> turn on, turn on and, and, and put on that reporting uh, side of yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. How did you become so articulate? Because you don't learn in journalism school how to be an articulate uh, presenter. How did you become such an articulate presenter? Practice. Practice makes perfect. You just stand in front of a camera. The more interviews you do, the better you get at. I remember even when I see early interviews, podcast interviews, I cringe. I'm like, oh my God, like I sound like a retarded there. And that's okay. You learn, right? It's like with anything that you want to do in this life, the more you practice, you get bettered and you improve. So if, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast and they want to be on television, just get in front of a camera, now YouTube, right? Get in front of your, your Canon and, and practice and practice and practice. You're just going to get better. Yeah. We're the hardest on ourselves for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so while you were working at CNN, you pivoted, you pivoted. Yes. Was that the cause of your pivot was uh, basically uh, finding yourself uh, underperforming because of the toll that it took on your mind and, and yeah. emotions? I think it was a mix of things. I am a true believer that everything happens for a reason. And I believe in signs, right? Like nothing in this world happens just by like, oh, you know, no, it, there's usually a purpose of why things happen. And you may be at that specific moment, you don't get it. But then when years passed by you're like oh now I understand why I had to go through this so at the same time that everything was happening you know my health was deteriorating and ended up in the ER and it was a very scary situation for me I was alone living in New York 
my whole family was here in Miami. So that was really scary. That kind of made me realize that I had to really sit down and just ask myself that this is the path that I was going to continue for the next five to 10 plus years, right? At the same time, I remember meeting the director. I don't know if she's still there, but she was a director of the Columbia Journalism School. They have an amazing program. And I think we met at a Telemundo event. And I remember meeting Maria Elena Arras. Like she, she used to, I don't know her name perfectly well, but she's, she's really popular. She used to have a show at Rojo Vivo, I think. So I got to meet her and then I was introduced to the director. And so the director, we started a conversation chatting. She's like, oh my God, you're so young and you're already working for the network. I was like 24 or something. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working for the morning television. So she was like, why do you come to Columbia every Thursday? We have basically, we usually try to bring people that are already in the industry to provide some sort of advice to college students. And I was like, yeah, of course, that's cool. You know, because I've been there. I know kind of what you need in order to be able to, to thrive in the industry. So yeah, every Thursday, I started going to Columbia, just talking to students about my experiences that were about to graduate and kind of just try to get a corporate job, right? Like that was the whole goal of, of the Masters of Journalism. And I think through these conversations, something that really stood out was the fact that there was so much, um, I feel like there was a little bit of apathy of how Gen Z specifically would see mainstream media. They felt that at a higher level, right? They were not really tearing their stories well. So there was animosity, right? And I realized that it was very popping. And another thing that I realized too was that they did not consume media just the way millennials would, right? This is when TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like all these different platforms had really taken off. So they would actually watch a YouTuber to get their news instead of getting their news from CNN or AP. So yeah, so from this conversation, I realized um, that I wanted to do something differently. So I started a publication um, at its early stages. It was just a platform to connect college students and to give them the opportunity to tell the stories on issues ranging from gangs in America to um, immigration and all GTBQ issues, all these you know, all these issues that sometimes are really hard to dissect on television because time is very limited, right? right? And there's not a lot of diversity, at least in that 2017, there wasn't a lot of diversity. So yeah, so I started doing that, never intended to make one dime. You know, I remember we got $2,000. We created a crowdfunding campaign. We got $2,000 from an amazing donor. We launched a website. It was July of 2017. We had a couple of contributors. And by the time that this all happened, my health was deteriorating. One of her stories about suicide prevention went viral. I mean, someone had shared on Facebook. We got like a thousand likes, 2000 comments. And I think that we started getting a lot of traction of the website, right? People visiting the website. And then at that point, we really didn't understand how to monetize the website. We really didn't know anything about it, but we started making money with Google ads. and you know, consistent, like $300. And, and, and I was like, wait, can you actually make money? Is that even a thing? Right. So realizing the potential of growing this into a bigger publication. So I took a leap of faith, you know, quit my job and I just focused my efforts on the publication. So that's how it all started. 
So for listeners that are not familiar, what you're describing is that Google would place ads into your platform because you opened it up to Google. Is that correct? So, um, so online ads, it's basically, yes. So it's advertisers pay you yes. because you're, you're, they're paid the space on your blog, on your website right. to promote their services, right? I mean, especially for advanced bloggers here, people uh, or just people that run publications like New York Times, they work directly with premium ad networks, which right. like and it can be AdDrive, it can be um, Mediavine, because just to even get into, to qualify to be part of this premium ad networks, you, you need to have like hundreds of millions of readers every month. So yeah, so, and that can definitely be life-changing, not only for the valuation of your website, but also a much, you know, the income that you can make monthly from on, on the online ad space. So yes, in a way, it's what you say, yeah. So you started to be paid by Google and then you realized that uh, by accident, you had fallen into a gold mine. Yes. What happened? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so my success wasn't like, you know, oh my God, one day I woke up and, and I had $10,000 in my bank account and didn't have it that way, okay? I actually struggled three years. I, because after that, after I guess that story went viral, right? We thought that, every other story was going to be the same way, right? Because it's like already happened. Now we have momentum. We're going to do even bigger things, but unfortunately it didn't work that way, you know? And that's why it's, it's so important to build a sustainable business, right? Yes. You have to build the foundation. If you don't have a good foundation, everything will just fall apart. And that's, we didn't have a good foundation. We didn't, one of the things I realized is, was that we had all these different um, readers coming to our website because some of our stories, some of the posts were going viral on social media, but we cannot rely on social media to make money. That's not how you do it. So yeah, so I, we, we, I remember hiring a team. I remember working with a digital agency. Nothing was happening. We were burning money, not making money. I had three part-time jobs because remember I had quit CNN, you know? I right. quit, it was like, I'm not looking back. My dad was like, you're crazy. Why would you ever quit your job? You were about to get promoted and all these different things. But anyways, I remember one day being extremely tired. I was generally, to be honest, about to give up because I was like, this is not working. It's been one year. I've been working on this website, earning so much cash. And then I remember, I guess that was a sign of God. I generally feel that everything is happens for a reason. I remember typing $1 million website because I was like, there's got to be someone up there making $1 million with their website. So yeah, so I remember typing that on Google and then three websites uh, just popping up on the searches. And one of them was run by a 23-year-old college student, okay? And her whole blog was about college life. And generally she was making $1 million a year. Wow. And I was just blown away. Like, here I am. I have a team. I am a CNN, right? A reporter. I have the credentials. And right. I cannot make into the business. And then she kept talking about SEO, 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 SEO. And I was like, what the hell is SEO? I Like, I need to learn what SEO is about. And then I started basically really digging deep, understanding that search engine optimization is how you make content rank organically and then I remembered enrolling on my first mastermind I think I paid ten thousand dollars but it was just life-changing you know from there I really understood what I needed to establish a robust block that was going to bring me consistent readers 
and that I was going to make it to grow my email list. I was going to be able to drive organic traffic from different platforms. And that's how I was able to take that specific website to a seven-figure valuation. Maricelo, what is your best estimate of how much money you burned through before you realized that there was a science that you didn't know? Probably like twenty to $30,000. Okay. Uh, now, yeah. You have created a system to where someone that is listening to us, they don't have to go through that. They don't have to go through years of trial and error and, and burning lots of cash to try to build a sustainable business. Talk to us about that. What, what is the system that you've created? Yeah, so basically um, right now I actually run a mastermind and that's the reason why I started this mastermind because I feel like a lot of digital marketing agencies will provide a service for you and they kind of just walk away and you're left not really understanding what they did for your website and how that's going to generate money. So I think, especially when you're a sole entrepreneur, when cash is limited, you need to understand every aspect of your business and you need to laser focus on the one aspect of your business that is working so you can scale and then start hiring people, right? It's this whole concept of working smarter, not harder. Um, but just going back to that is the most important part of creating a website. It's the marketing strategy beforehand. What people don't understand is it doesn't matter what business you want to start, right? Whether it is a salon or you want to start a construction company, what's the first thing you do? You do in-depth research. You want to understand your market. Let's say you want to open a new construction office in Texas. Then you're going to look at your competitors. You're going to see the market. Do I actually have a chance to compete and not only compete, but outrank them and even be better, create a bigger company than them? So that's exactly the same thing with a blog. Before you even decide to what industry you're going to tap into, you have to look at your competitors. You have to see if there is potential for you to rank other websites to monetize. And I think the number one reason why 90% of bloggers falls is because they start a blog without any content strategy beforehand. So doing that niche research, understand if you have the possibility to rank your competitors is going to be the key factor to make sure you actually make money and build a sustainable business. And that's what people just don't understand. The phrase of the riches is in the niches holds true here because yeah. you got to be really, really niche focused on your readership. And, and I see that in, in uh, podcasting too. It took me a full year before I could define my niche, even though I'm Latino, but mm. because I have such a broad repertoire of topics and I'm a subject matter expert in four disciplines, I didn't know where to start. So it took me, I did some research and I, I interviewed some people throughout the possible names and I finally just kept it simple with Latinos who thrive. Because one, we are a a growing nation of Latinos. America is browning out. So I position myself to go after that, that niche of Latinos, but to have a very specific genre of having character interviews, which, uh, which positions me as the only or the top podcaster because I have ad agencies from throughout the country contact me because they want to get their clients on, on a podcast. Uh, because again, working that niche. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. 
that unless you actually work a niche and you become a master at it, then chances are you're going to burn out, you're going to give up, and you're not going to succeed. Uh, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time, uh, Maricielo. Any final words that you can give us? Uh, your information will be in the show notes if people want to reach out to you to get your mastermind program uh, so that they can cut the, the process from years to maybe months or weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this mastermind, it's honestly something that I created because I saw so many pain points in the industry and how people really don't understand the SEO in this space, right? Digital marketing is such a huge space. There's so much information to digest that that can be really overwhelming. So making sure to be able to just condense all of that and kind of give you a step-by-step process will make a huge difference. So the Mastermind, it's an eight-month program where we teach entrepreneurs to build, launch, and scale their blocks to a six-figure valuation within a year. Um, you know, you definitely can, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll send you my link so you can include if anyone's it's interested, they can definitely book a strategy call, but if there is anything you guys take away from this conversation today is first of all, it start before you're ready. Okay. There's so many times that we keep thinking to ourselves, we have this idea we want to execute, but we're afraid of what people are going to say. We're afraid we don't, we think that we're not good enough, right? Because we have this imposter syndrome. Right. You have to find a way to break that through fear and just do what you really want to do because life is too short. So it That's starts away like and and be unapologetic about it. Stop caring what other people have to say because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So that's number one tip. And second, when it comes to blogging, I always say this to my clients, blogging or just building a website can either be a really expensive hobby or it can actually be an asset which you can sell for a lot of money into the market. You are you have to decide which one is going to be. But I hope you decide like right uh, the second option and you actually put in the time to build an asset that is going to be able to bring you a lot of money. But in order for you to do that, you do need to have a robust content marketing strategy because if not, it's going to be really hard for you to scale up. So invest in that, invest in your knowledge, because that is the biggest return of investment. Absolutely. We, we have to have you back, uh, uh, Maricielo, because you are a, a wealth of information uh, for my listeners, and especially a lot of Latinas, uh, something like uh, 60% of my audience are young Latinas uh, between the ages of 25 and 35. So you're in that demographic uh, to inspire uh, my audience. So thank you so much for joining us today. And that's it, my friends. Uh, That does it for today. Until next week, go out and thrive.